What's your favorite way to learn? I like graphic novels because I can see who's talking. My grandma reads the newspaper to me. I like movies on TV. I play learning games on my dad's tablet. I like reading plain old regular books with lots of detail. This is Worlds Awaiting, helping children read, write, see, speak, think, and listen. Here's our host, Rachel Wada. When I begin a discussion of poetry in my children's literature classes, I am often greeted with groans and apathy. It seems that somewhere along the way, many of my students have lost any connection that they may have had to the joys of poetry. It's impossible to lay blame for this loss at any one event or group, so I've never really tried to address why it's lost. I only focus on the fact that I find it really sad that poetry is a hardship for so many. In my classes, I combat this by trying to reintroduce the joys of poetry. We do this by reading fun poems and studying some of my favorite poets, one of which is Marilyn Singer. Singer is a multi-talented author who may be familiar to many because of her delightful Tallulah books. But among her many picture books and novels, Singer is also a talented poet. Singer writes poems about all kinds of things, from dogs to sticks and superheroes to aliens. She even wrote a whole book of poems about the presidents of the United States called Rutherford B. Who Was He? All her poetry is delightful and sure to engage a wide range of readers. But Singer is particularly notable because she created her own form of poetry. We're all likely familiar with a wide range of poetic forms, including the sonnet, ballad, ode, the limerick, or even the ever-present haiku. But it was not until Singer that we learned of the form reverso. A reverso is made up of two poems. When you read the first poem from top to bottom, it says one thing. But then when you exactly reverse the order of the lines, changing it only for punctuation and capitalization, it says something else. The form is perfectly masterful in that it gives you two distinct points of view in exactly the same poem, only reversed. So far, she has published three books in the form. Mirror, Mirror, and Follow, Follow are reversos based in fairy tales, and Echo, Echo is based on Greek myths. Each are full of fun and may just help everyone find a little joy in poetry again. And that's another recommendation straight from Rachel's World. Do you have a child who resists reading? The situation is pretty common, in fact, often normal. Rachel talks to educator and author Mary Bigler about things you can do to get reluctant readers interested. Bigler suggests using joke and riddle books, tongue twisters, poetry, or short books. Read what the child wants and loves, she says, no matter how many times they want it read to them. Once a preschool teacher and now a professor, Mary Bigler has spent her life promoting literacy and celebrating the joys of teaching. She is an award-winning professor in the Department of Teacher Education at Eastern Michigan University and author of Lessons Learned. Here's Rachel with Mary. We're visiting with Mary today. Welcome to the show, Mary. Hello, Rachel. I'm delighted to be here. Well, I am so excited to talk to you today about something that we both love, and that is children and literacy and reading and all of the aspects that go into that. So let's start a little bit at a very fundamental question. I think it's one that I get asked frequently as a literacy expert, and you too probably get asked this question very frequently. How can we make our children become good readers? 
Well, if I could only give one piece of advice or information or share one thought about how to help children become good readers, I would say the most important thing anyone can do is to read to their children. Whether your grandma or aunt or it's your cousin's children or the neighborhood children or your own children or the kids next door, your nieces, your nephews, I think any interested adult who cares about children could read to youngsters, and that's the best thing I know to turn them into readers. Because when you read to children, you show them the value of books. You show them the joy, the entertainment, the information that they can get if they can read. So if we want to turn children into readers, I say let's read to them, and they'll become readers. That's such wonderful advice. And I know you are also a strong advocate for making sure that there are specific types of books that engage readers. I know you speak often of helping reluctant readers through joke and riddle books. I think that is connected to this uh, idea of technology, that we really need to find the things that interest them. So what have you found about those kinds of particular books that that help particularly reluctant readers engage, engage more deeply with reading? All right. I think reluctant readers are intimidated by a lot of print. A lot of the children that I've worked with in my career um, have been children who are intimidated by the size of a book. I don't care how good Charlotte's Web is. My, my reluctant readers take one look at it and say, that's too much. I can't read all of that. So one of the things I've tried to do is to find shorter, non-threatening things. And I like to start with joke and riddle books because they're fun, they're, they're non-threatening, there's something to laugh about after just a, a few words. You don't have to read three pages of description or five pages of dialogue to get a message in a joke book. You just have to read 10 or 12 or 15 words and there's something to laugh about. And, uh, you know, another thing, like even wordless books, there are some fabulous wordless books. When people say, how can it be a wordless book? Well, the, the message is conveyed with pictures. And the reader is supposed to make up the text. So you can get some very easy wordless books like Pancakes for Breakfast by Tommy DePaolo, one of our best authors for young children, you know, preschool or kindergarten, first grade. Get Pancakes for Breakfast and just look at the pictures and let your children create the story. And I think we have other resources like tongue twister books. Tongue twisters are supposed to be difficult to recite, to say. And they have so much fun, they don't even realize they're reading and they're developing fluency. They just think they're having fun. And that's the way it should be. I think that's so significant. I I love this idea of fluency, reading fluency. I think a lot of people focus on reading comprehension, but there is this aspect of fluency that's so important to that reading process. So could you speak a little bit more about that? When children read word by word, they're not called fluent readers. So, for example, if a a second grader is reading, I saw a cat by the door. That's what we call a word-by-word reader. They're simply saying the words. They're not understanding it and reading with comprehension, but they're not fluent because you're supposed to read like you talk. So you want to say, I saw a cat by the door. We want to read in phrases. We want to read in units. We want it to flow. We want it to be smooth. That's one of the reasons singing is such a good thing for children, because when they sing a song, the melody and the rhythm of the song force them to be fluent, or they aren't going to keep up with the beat of the music. 
we want to give them simple material to read when we're working on fluency, and we want to get them to reread if possible, because when they reread, they sound better the second time and the third time and the fifth time and the tenth time, and they make more meaning. So our goal is to find things that they will like to reread, like the jokes and the riddles and the tongue twisters, and another good uh, genre would be poetry. Children love Dr. Seuss and Shel Silverstein and Jack Perlutsky, and they can recite them again and again and again. And the more they recite them, the better their fluency develops. So we want to work with children on reading smoothly, at a good speed, and with expression, and that will make them fluent. I, I love that description because I know as you talk and write, things that you embrace are this idea of fun and exciting and adventure. And when you talk to teachers, you help them kind of embrace that part of themselves. So how can we go about helping our kids do that? How can we help them find that fun and joy in, in reading? I think we're creating a love affair with a book or a love affair with a genre or a love affair with an author. And, you know, a lot of times preschool parents will say to me, now I've read The Very Hungry Caterpillar 150 times to my three-year-old. Are you telling me that I should read that 151 times? And I say, yes, I am telling you that. And they say, but don't you think I should read something new and different? I say, I think it's good to read something new and different, but that doesn't mean we don't read what the child loves and wants. Because if he wants to hear The Very Hungry Caterpillar again... There's something about that book that either tickles his funny bone or lights up his eyes or touches his heart and soul. That book is meaningful to him. And by reading it again and again and again, you're creating a love affair with that book. And he will outgrow it. He's not going to ask you to read that when he's 12. But if you're lucky, maybe when he's a dad himself, you'll go to his home one night and you'll hear him reading The Very Hungry Caterpillar to his three-year-old. And then you'll say good job, mom, or good job, dad, or good job, grandma, because he will probably always have a soft spot in his heart for that book. It's his favorite book, or it was his favorite book. So if children want the same book over and over, and, and, or if they want to read the same genre, I know kids that will read every Amelia Bedelia book, second grade, they love, or Junie B. Jones. They're popular books. The children love those series books, and they'll read them all. And parents will say, well, you know, I think that's kind of trite, or I think that's too simple, and I think that they should be reading something more complex. And I say, I have a ladder theory of development. I, I try to take the children whatever rung of the ladder they're on, and I try to move them to higher ground. But, you know, when you're on a ladder sometime, you kind of have to stay on the same rung till you kind of get your balance and your perspective and you get comfortable, and then you can go a step higher. Well, that's what I think about reading. Maybe my best example, I used to teach ninth grade, and at the time I was teaching ninth grade several, uh, many years ago now, um, the book Jaws came out, the movie came out, and all the ninth graders wanted to read Jaws. And parents would say to me, I just think that's ridiculous. They're reading Jaws. I said, listen, if they like Jaws, I'll take them to Moby Dick. If they like Stephen King, I'll take them to Edgar Allan Poe. But if I can't get them to read Jaws and The Shining, I may never get them to those higher levels. So celebrate where they are, let them enjoy that, and we will move them on as they develop. Mary, that is a wonderful thought. I love that analogy of the ladder. I think sometimes as adults, we 
we tend to try to push children up to the next rung really before yeah. they're ready. And, and sometimes they need to stay on that rung for a long time. And the other thing I think that we need to remember in this is this fact that sometimes we do read below our reading level and we can find enjoyment there too. So it's not always where we're at and above. Sometimes it's going back down a couple rungs and and maybe enjoying a picture book when we're a teenager or something of that nature. There's there's back and forth on this ladder. Well, that's absolutely true. What do you and I do? You know, if you came into my home, I don't have Ulysses sitting on my coffee table. I I have Good Housekeeping magazine and People magazine. Now, that doesn't mean I can't read Ulysses. But I don't sit around for fun necessarily and read James Joyce. So we have, we have different times that we read for different reasons that we read. We want to be able to read very complex technical material that's very dense and, and so on. But at the same time, reading for fun and enjoyment, I want to, I want to enjoy what I'm reading. And I think that's important to realize if we don't enjoy it, we're not going to do it. So tapping into this powerful wonderful thing that reading is allows us to do it. Connecting yep. back to that enjoyment, for especially for kids, is critical. Absolutely. Um, I'd like to, if it's okay, spend just a couple of seconds here talking about boys, because, you know, so many of our young men are just not getting into the joy of reading. And um, the research on our young men is very discouraging because it is said that by fourth grade, the average young man is about two grade levels behind the average young lady in reading and writing ability. And what a shame. There's no reason for that. We've got to get these young men interested in reading. So um, one of the things I've tried to do is to figure out what is it that the boys like to read. So if you've got a young man at your house who isn't necessarily real excited about reading, try, try some, some like ideas like this. For example, boys like nonfiction. Now, that doesn't mean girls don't like it. Of course, girls like nonfiction, too. But boys tend to like real stuff as opposed to made-up stuff, as they say to me. That's why, you know, you'll have a fifth-grade boy that will sit around and read the Guinness Book of World Records or the World Almanac or Ripley's Believe It or Not. Then they'll come up and ask you some obscure question that nobody in the world knows but them because they just read it in the book and they feel so smart when they know something mom or dad doesn't know um, or teacher doesn't know. Boys also like humor. And, um, my goodness, uh, Jeff Kinney's The Diary of a Wimpy Kid or Dov Pilkey's Captain Underpants are so popular with the boys – Another good tool along this kind of the same lines are graphic novels. If you talk to librarians and media specialists, they'll tell you that right now some of the most popular reading materials in schools and libraries are graphic novels because in a graphic novel, the messages are conveyed with both picture and text. And if we know the brain research, we say that the left side of the brain relates to the words and the right side of the brain relates to the graphics. So we're using both sides of the brains to make meaning. And of course, sports is always a big category for boys and girls, but we want to make sure that we're um, sharing sports books. Or how about all the gory, gross things? You know, they like anything kind of gross. Um, Not all boys, but some boys really like that. So I want to make a special plea to your listeners to make sure that our boys are being given the kind of material that they find enjoyable and relevant because they're not doing as well in reading as we'd like them to be doing. And I think a lot of it is that we're just not giving them the material they, they need to, to 
prosper. So that's just a little special plea. <laughs> well, listeners, listen up to that plea because I agree with Mary. I, I think that's really true. The more we can give children and particularly boys who are reluctant readers the things they love, the better off we're going to be. You bet. They'll read more. And I will say that I think if we give the gift of literacy to children, that we've given them the most important academic gift that we could to enable them to become good citizens and to become happy and productive and healthy and loving adults and the kind of people we'll want to have as our neighbors and our leaders and our friends in the future. So all of us who care about children and care about the future, if we can do our part to read to the children and get them to read and practice the skill of reading and get them to write so that they feel like they are good communicators, that they will become lifelong readers and learners, and they will, will our future will be secure in their hands, and we will all have left a wonderful legacy. A perfect note to end on. Thank you so much, Mary, for visiting with us today. This has been a joy. I truly appreciate your time. Well, thank you so much. It was purely my pleasure. That was Rachel Wadham talking with educator and author Mary Bigler about how to help children find enjoyment in reading. You're listening to Worlds Awaiting. Have you ever had the experience where you've read a book and loved it, but your friend reads it and hates it? Rachel talks to Whitney Troxell and Ilea Stevens, editors of the Children's Book and Media Review at the BYU Library, who have their own bone or book of contention. Here's Rachel with Whitney and Ilea. Welcome, Whitney. Thank you. And welcome, Ilea. Thank you. One of the things that I think is an interesting phenomenon that we have talked about before is that sometimes we read a book and we love it, and then our friend reads a book and they hate it. And that happened to both of you. So let's chat a little bit about the differences as how do we perceive books when we read them and why do the books turn out to be different and we have different feelings about them as different people. So, Ilea, tell us a little bit about this book. Give us kind of a summary of, of the book that uh, you disagree with Whitney about. The book is Ella Enchanted by Gail Carson Levine, and it's basically a fractured fairy tale of Cinderella. And I love fractured fairy tales. I think they're very fun. And I read it when I was probably eight or nine and it was just magical and fun and I loved Ella and how she was strong and she was cursed but she didn't let that define her and the ending is just my favorite when it's not just a and they lived happily ever after but it talks about why they were happy ever after. Very cool. So Whitney, you obviously had a different experience with this book. Yes I did. So what what made you dislike it? Well, I first I first tried to read it when it came out, and I couldn't get past the first chapter. I was so bored. Like I wasn't engaged at all. So a few years went past, and the movie came out, and it was my best friend's favorite book, and she loved it. And she was so appalled that this movie was coming <laughs> out, which fans of the book don't like the movie at all. I quite enjoy the movie, but... <laughs> That's You're not a me. fan of the book. <laughs> but I'm not a fan of the book, so funny how that works. Um, and I just wasn't engaged. I couldn't relate. I thought, felt the characters were very one-dimensional. Um, and I, too, love fractured fairy tales. There are a few things in this world I enjoy more than a good fractured fairy tale. But this one was almost too fractured. It was You couldn't 
I didn't put it together that it was Cinderella until the very end where uh, Prince Charmant is putting the slipper on her foot. And there were there were hints throughout it that I was like, oh, this is kind of like Cinderella. But there were enough differences that I was like, well, maybe she's just pulling from a bunch of different fairy tales. The point of a fractured fairy tale to me is to be able to enjoy the differences from the original to the fractured telling and to get more depth. And it just didn't do it for me. I would agree that a lot of the characters do tend to be one-dimensional, but it never bothered me because it was a fairy tale. And so I didn't need a lot of depth because I was like, well, it's Cinderella. I don't need to get to know the evil stepsisters because I know who they are. Well, I think Whitney would have liked more depth in those characters while I was okay with the roles that they had. What do you think that um, could have been done differently maybe in the book to help you respond to it better? Is there is there some kind of way that the author could have written it differently, you think, that might have helped you respond to it differently? I think what it might have helped is Ella kind of came off as a cliche to me. Mm. Like she had these strengths and this personality, but she was the clumsy one. It was almost kind of, uh, well, we need to give her a fault, so we'll make her clumsy. (laughs) And there's so many books that, and stories that do that, that it just, it annoyed me. That there, there probably could have been other faults that it would make, would have made her more believable. Yeah. But did, did that change your thoughts on anything? Was that clumsiness part of maybe why you liked Ella or... I was very clumsy as a child, and I I think this was also before I started to notice the abundance of clumsiness, so it didn't bother me as much. You know, it's interesting seeing this kind of contrast in the conversations that you've had, and especially, Whitney, with your friend, since it was her favorite. Has talking about your differences with this book help you see it in a slightly different light than you may have originally? What do you think, Whitney? Not really, because my friend made it very clear why she liked it. When, when, uh, it was very disappointing for her when I told her I had, I really didn't like the book. Um, and she she told me all the things, and I see why people enjoy it. I really do. And I think part of the problem, I was older when I read it. I was much older. I was reading a lot more young adult books at the time, where this is probably more kind of intermediate for a yeah. little bit younger audience. And... At that stage, I had come to expect more from books. That's really interesting. I think the time and space that we're in, the experiences we had can definitely can definitely color the way we read a book. A lot of times when we have these kind of disagreements, especially about something we feel so passionately about, it really kind of hurts us when, like your friend, <laughs> when people don't like what we like or we don't have the same experiences. But I think it's it's healthy sometimes just to talk this out and to you know express our opinions and it helps us see things in new light. So what... What is your opinion on that avenue, Ilya? Do you do you like talking about books with other people, especially ones that you conflict about? If everyone can be nice about it, I love talking about it. But people do get very passionate, and sometimes feelings can be hurt. But I really like seeing different opinions, especially about books, because it helps me notice things. I get sometimes so immersed that I don't always notice things, and talking to people, even people who didn't like it, helps me appreciate the book more for what it is instead of the world I was in like at that moment. That makes sense. You have... An opinion on that, on a controversy? <laughs> well, I think it's definitely a learned skill because when you're passionate about something, it becomes a part of you. So hearing someone not like it is almost 
them saying they don't like part of yourself, which is really hard to hear. But I've learned as I've gotten older that it's okay and that differences are good. And sometimes you can see weaknesses in something that you love, but still be like, you know what, it's okay that it has that because it has all of these other things and it means this to me. So it doesn't matter that it's not perfect and that everyone doesn't love it. It's just good for me. Yeah. And I think I think that's really the healthy place to come to. This kind of controversy is helpful for us to understand books at a deeper level. And it's helpful for us to discuss with our family and friends about all these things. And, and then we can figure out how we feel about it. But it doesn't, just because somebody disagrees, doesn't dilute our love of the book. So Ilea, you can still love it. And Whitney, you can still not like it. And it's still a good book. <laughs> Thank you so much, you both, for coming and joining us today in the studio. Whitney Troxell and Ilea Stevens with Rachel Wadham of Worlds Awaiting, sharing their contrasting views of Ella Enchanted by Gail Carson Levine. We finish the show today with Stephen Cap Perry, composer and announcer on Classical 89 Radio in Provo, Utah. I asked him about books that made an impact on him in childhood. Tell me about your favorite book from childhood. Yes, my dad was a big science fiction reader, and I remember when I was in third or fourth grade picking up his copy of Dune, and it did not go well. <laughs> Just because of the vocabulary, I didn't have the words yet. But I picked up this book he had from the library. It was called The Lensman. And I don't know if anybody's heard of this, but it's this great series by E.E. E. Doc Smith. And I remember as a kid, it was so fascinating about space travel and rockets. And this guy got this lens implanted in his wrist. This was part of being a lensman. And there were different races and different species. And they were, they were sort of the noble ones helping maintain order in the universe. And this lens would help you speak to other people through it who were different races and everything. And it just captured my imagination for two reasons. First, just that it gave them these powers that we all wish we had to speak mind to mind and all of this. But then later, as the series progresses, he gets more skilled. He has this mentor working with him. And something happens, and it's removed. It's stolen from him. And he has these thing, tasks he has to do. Oh, no, what will happen? And his mentor says, use your powers. And he said, I can't. They're gone. They're gone. He said, no, the powers you've developed over the years with the aid of that. And I remember thinking, Wow. Did it kind of help you in your life? It was kind of like an escape. You could go into the book. A lot of my reading I've used as escape. Not necessarily like I can't stand where I am, get me away from here, but sort of like a chance to visit other places in your mind because I'm, I feel like I'm there when I'm reading. It's really hard to get out of that world when I'm in the middle of a book. Lots of readers know this feeling. You're in the middle, something's about to happen, and someone comes to you and says, would you mind taking out the trash? And of course you want to say, can't you see I'm in such and such a universe? How could you possibly interrupt me? But of course you go take out the trash, but then you get right back into it. Did you relate to the boy at all? Did that? Did oh, you yeah. kind of take on? Because he started from nothing, like, why did they pick me? I'm a nobody, mm -hmm. and I'm, you know, just the way so many adventures begin. So we all get in on the ground floor mm -hmm. and see somebody grow and learn in all the ways we hope we will. You have this love for books, and now you have a family. Of course, you've got grown-up kids now, and you have grandchildren? Not yet. Not yet. Okay, but you have... But we have a stack of books waiting to read to them. <laughs> what did you do for your children to instill this love of reading? Oh, well, 
first of all, it had to be fun. And I think most most parents realize that that it's really fun for the parents too, to, especially when you can take on the characters and do different voices. And there's a little while where your kids think you're pretty magical. They grow out of this stage very quickly. <laughs> but where if if the, if you do a voice, if you try and read it without, it's like no, 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 no. Do do the real voice. Okay. Well, little <laughs> child, I'm you know all of those kind of things. Well, thank you so much. It's fun to hear your thoughts today and just your feelings about books and just what an impact books make on our lives. Well, thank you. And I love the name Worlds Awaiting. (laughs) I mean, talk about that's what a book on the shelf is, a potential adventure into time travel, space travel, you name it. That was Stephen Cap Perry, composer and announcer on Classical 89, talking about a memorable book from childhood. Thanks for listening to Worlds Awaiting. Tune in Saturdays at 1.30 p.m. Eastern on BYU Radio, Sirius XM, Channel 143, on the TuneIn app, and at byuradio.org.